0: Hi, I'm Michelle Ward. As a mom, I've looked my children in the eyes with love and hoped I can lead them toward a bright, wonderful future. But as a neurocriminologist who's been studying violent crime for the last 20 years, I've also quietly hoped that, at the very least, I'm not raising a future serial killer. And if you can relate to that taboo thought, congratulations, you've just found your new favorite podcast. This is How Not to Raise a Serial Killer. Today, we're going to be talking about a murderer named Patrick Lewis. And to do this with me is my new friend, Renee. And Renee and I don't really know each other yet. Not yet, but
1: I feel like we should. And well, we do.
0: And we share a best friend. We do. Courtney
1: from episode Course. one. Court, episode one.
0: And she talks <laughs> to me about Renee, and then she talks to Renee about me, but she's never let us meet. And I think now it's because she doesn't want us to have our own relationship. I think that was
1: it. It's too late. Clearly,
0: yes. No. And Renee, you're a mom, and you like true crime. I do.
1: How many kids do you have? I have two boys. Oh. Right. How old are they? They are 13 and 16. (laughs) I know. I'm in it. (laughs) Long showers and bad attitudes. (laughs) When they get them in the shower. Right. Right. Yes. Well,
0: first I should ask you, I ask every single guest, do you ever worry about either of them becoming criminal?
1: No. I don't worry about that. But of course, when I listen to Lots of True Crime, then you sit, think back like, hmm. no, No. Not... Not criminals. <laughs> not criminals. Other things. Other things, <laughs> sure. But criminals, no. Well, that's one thing that
0: I think sometimes gets lost in the title of this podcast. It's not just things to make sure your kids don't become serial killers. It's actually good stuff for just raising little
1: Right, humans. is hard enough as it is. Mm-hmm. So any tips are good tips.
0: Yeah, and I figure the bar is really low. If if all we want to do is make sure they don't become a criminal, we're right. killing it. Bonus. Bonus. Right, yes, agreed. <laughs> So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Patrick Lewis. From 1987 to 1998, Gerald Patrick Lewis, known as Patrick, was brutally raping and killing young women. That's not that unusual, unfortunately, in these stories. His MO was to select brown-haired women either by hiring them as sex workers or by running into them on the street and being like, hey, you need a ride? and We know how that goes. In one instance, and I found this to be particularly brutal, he hired an escort named Misty McGugan. He had sex with her, as she was paid to do, and then he decided he wanted his $150 back that he had just paid her. So he decides to strangle her. And um, he did that first with his hands. He was manually strangling her. Then he used a nylon rope, but then she didn't die right away, which is really inconvenient for him, evidently. So he takes this knife that he brought with him, which I don't hear about in any of the other sources, but he obviously, this wasn't his first kill. And obviously he did plan to kill because you don't bring this. And it's a big knife. I've seen a picture of it. He had it hidden in there. He brings it out. He stabs her. He then wraps her up in a tarp and puts her in her car because he didn't want blood in his car. And he drives her to a wooded area, but then she he hears her coughing. The poor woman is not dead yet. I mean, she's wishing she's dead at this point, but she's not dead yet. So he gets out, he strangles her again, and then he raped her corpse. I'll never understand that. Every once in a while, we get those. He did this again and again to multiple women. And his crimes were all very gruesome, but I'm not going to get into every single one of them, but I wanted to tell you about that one. And also Peggy Grimes, she was a pregnant woman, eight months pregnant. And he didn't rape her. He didn't rape her. He didn't want to but he also knew he couldn't let her go. So he kidnaps her. And we're going to get back to why he chose this pregnant woman. It ties back to a very weird situation in his life. And the theme comes up over and over and over again. So he takes her, he stabs her to death, and then he tries to cut out the baby. Yeah. And there were more like that. According to him, he killed a lot more like that. At one point, Patrick stopped killing for a period of time. He kind of cooled down, met a girlfriend, Kim Davis. And one night, she stood him up, and he figured she was with another guy. So in response, he drives to the local bar where she normally hangs out, and he was thinking he'd catch her, and he did. She's there with a man. So he goes out, and he waits for Kim in the parking lot in a car he'd stolen, because we'll, we'll learn about him. The guy can't keep a car, a job, girlfriend, anything. And as she's getting ready to drive away, he runs up to her car window, he punches it in, and he starts hitting her. Her date shows up and was like, no, starts hitting Patrick. Then everyone gets into their car and Patrick escapes. But his erratic movements alerts police, the police pull him over, they see it's a stolen car, um, they they end up looking in the car and they realize that there's a long knife, a steel pipe, and a bunch of other tools that look like he's about to commit a murder or at least a kidnap – kidnapping. So in December of 1993, he gets arrested. And this lands him a sentence of 10 years, which I think is like kind of low for – but whatever. He's released in four years um, in 19, November of 1997. And of course, he goes on just to commit more crimes – after his early release, Patrick went to a local motel bar looking to hook up with another sex worker. And this is kind of what he does. He's into paying for it. So that's where he meets Kathleen Brocken. Kathleen, also known as Kat, immediately walked up to Patrick and asked him if he wanted to go back to her room. And Patrick obliged, but he was turned off by her price. She was charging $100. And he, in his own words, said, I was thinking more like $50 for her. He describes her having a nice body but a big nose. I'm like, wow, Okay. He says all of this stuff in his confessions and it's very creepy. So all night long he tries to talk her down and he gets frustrated. And eventually, according to him, Kat hit Patrick on the back of the head as he was leaving her room. I don't know if I believe that part. He says he turned around to defend himself and she bit his finger and then he threw her down in blind rage. He choked her and then he raped her. His description of the rape is so bizarre. Um, He's talking about how he knew she was dead or dying, but he could see her private parts and was like, hey, I'm a little horny, so let's get this done. He steals her cash. He stabs her to death while he's in having sex with her, and then he mutilates her body with his knife. After he was satisfied, he rolls Kat up in a sheet, and he left her in the room on the bed. But there's a catch there, uh, Kat had a friend with her that night, and he met that friend, but she had gone out to get some food. So he has to work quickly. He knows he doesn't have a lot of time because that girl's coming back. She did come back, but she didn't call the police right away because she had warrants. And What kind of friend is that? Yeah. Yeah, not good. Immediately after murdering Kat, Patrick left the motel for another bar about a half mile down the road, and there he picked up a woman named Lisa. He brought her back to his mom's house where they had sex. This one is evidently not a sex worker, and I don't know why he... Right, busy night, though. He's a, he was not done. The next morning, after his mom leaves to go to church, Patrick takes Lisa to a secluded dirt road where he planned to have sex with her again and then stab her to death. There are some theories that the reason he needed another woman was because although he um, was able to, you know have sex with cat and stab her he didn't get to do the part which he really likes which is take people to the woods that's a theory i don't know if i buy it he takes lisa to a secluded dirt road he plans to have sex with her but he didn't follow through with the murder because it just wasn't doing much for him he says so now lisa is a um, witness because he left her alive but he did take her down the dirt road and kidnapped her so she's a witness While the police are digging around for Kat's murderer, you know, they have—they found her body eventually, although her friend didn't tell the police. Somebody else did on her behalf. So they're poking around looking for a murderer. They somehow get in touch with Lisa, and Lisa's able to identify Patrick and explain what he had done to her. So he's arrested for the murder of Kat on April fourteenth, nineteen 1998, and he actually owned up to killing Kat, two women in Georgia— a woman And a woman named Misty in Alabama. That's Misty who we described earlier. The one, The first one I mentioned, the sex worker who he strangled and didn't quite kill and then eventually killed her. The detectives also connect him to Peggy Grimes, the pregnant woman. And he stated that there were more victims in Massachusetts, but he didn't say who. So he's ultimately charged with the murders of Misty, Peggy, Kathleen, possibly these two unknown women, I wasn't totally clear, and Peggy's unborn child. Patrick is sentenced to death in 2004. Interestingly, he asked for that. He didn't want um, a trial, but he still had a trial and he was sentenced to death. All right. This is where we go. Okay, why? 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 And what state is this? So it's all Alabama and Georgia, but actually we'll get into kind of, he was uh, all over the place, but that's mainly where, he claims there were a couple of killings in Massachusetts, but- I'm not sure that that was ever, you know, discovered. And sometimes, and this is a horrifying reality, I work, I came across this a lot on my other podcast, sex workers aren't always missed right away. So they don't get reported missing right away. And then I'm hoping this is not the same as it was with, you know, the, the hillside stranglers of the 1980s, but detectives don't often, back
1: then at least, take those deaths as seriously as they might somebody. It's horrifying. Right. It's horrifying. Well, is it because, I mean, the missing part, because maybe a lot of them are runaways anyways, especially Mm -hmm. back then, so they don't even know they're missing. That's true. A
0: lot of them are runaways, so there's nobody to report it. Right. Yeah. And then maybe it doesn't get investigated as well. Anyway, it takes longer for, and that's one of the reasons why serial killers choose them. It's low-hanging fruit. Right. Easier to get away with. I know, it's really disgusting. So uh, Patrick was born in 1965 to a normal middle-class family, and he spent most of his life in Massachusetts and the South. His dad had a job that brought him kind of to both of those places. He had a younger brother, Sean, and while Sean grew to disdain his brother because of the crimes, he said he was actually had a really good relationship with him as a child. Patrick was the older brother, and he said he could be a really good older brother, Fine. Great. That means that there was, you know, a point where he was closer to normal, we hope. Um, There were problems that were evident at a pretty young age, though. And according to his mom and his brother, Patrick would take things that didn't belong to him all the time. It wasn't just like the normal, you know, my kids have done it. They like, look at me, take something, and like, is this okay? And then I beat them. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, do <laughs> <laughs> never struck my children. Um, but this was something that was so persistent that his mom said they would have to check his pockets anytime they left anywhere because he was taking everything. So it was like a compulsion, not even a... Exactly. Oh, somebody's oh. been listening to true crime podcasts. <gasps> uh, sometimes. It was a compulsion. That's exactly <laughs> right. But here's the weirdest thing. He didn't understand why it was a problem. He didn't understand why he wasn't allowed to take things that weren't his. And he didn't really care about the consequences. And his brother describes this time, there were these three neighbor girls and Patrick thought he was so clever. He's like, Sean, come on, let's go steal their bikes. And so they like broke into the garage and they changed all the parts, like interchanged the parts of the bike. And they're like, we did it. The police, obviously the girls are like, those are our bikes. The police come. Sean said he was petrified when the police came. And Patrick was like, NBD, no big deal. I don't care. Just didn't wasn't afraid of the crime and wasn't afraid of the consequences. It was really hard to parent him. And back then, there just wasn't a lot of things you could do. So you know who was parenting him at this point? You know, the police officers, the juvenile system, the the detention systems. His brother described liking Patrick, but then he tells this disturbing story where I'm like, and you still liked him? I, I, I didn't interview him, but this is just something I saw him describe. He was on an episode of Evil Lives Here. And one time, and this is important to realize, like, the the nature of
1: the the crimes or the activity, the bad behavior, it ramps up. Right. It starts with a stealing and mm-hmm. then, no, he's still fine in his mind, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, nothing happened. Let's keep going. Yeah. And maybe I'm a little bored of the stealing. Right. yeah. doesn't give me quite the- Little people, little problems. Little. And then it just goes.
0: <laughs> I'd never heard of it that way. That's true. Mm-hmm. Little people, little problems. Well, now he's a medium-sized people. Right. And he convinces his brother to get into a, um, like a clothing chest. And at first, Sean, his little brother was like, no, thank you. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. It's kind of fine. It's going to be fun. So Patrick convinces Sean to get in. Then he locks it. There's limited air. There's no light. And he leaves his brother there for what Sean describes a very long time. Just mean. 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 When he finally lets his brother out, um, he didn't feel bad about it at all. And that struck Sean. Struck me too. When I was digging into this case, I found some reports of him wetting the bed, having a fascination with fire, and one source even said at a young age he played with matches and caught himself on fire. He's also reportedly, like at some point, starting apartment complexes multiple on See, fire. It's amping up. And here's my problem with it, because so he, as I mentioned, his mom and his brother were on an episode of Evil Lives Here. They didn't mention any of that. But I always worry when I hear people reporting about bedwetting, animal cruelty, and fire starting because there's something called the McDonald Triad. Oh, have you heard of that? I have not. So it's this theory. Well, it's not really theory because there's truth to it. I, I mean, it's still a theory, but it's not a theory out of the ether
1: that most serial killers have those three things in common. Interesting. I mean, I've definitely heard of the animal. hmm I didn't know bedwetting was one of them. Yeah, and fire starting.
0: So whenever I see somebody list those sequentially, I get a little suspicious that they're trying to fit this person into that mold. And profiling isn't that simple. I wish it were, but it's just not. So let's say that this, those three things were happening. There is one story that I think is true, and it's really disturbing. He lit a doghouse on fire. The dog gets out. He survived the fire. But then, and this is Patrick's own account of um, he would take milk jugs and cut them open and he put it on the dog's head and and evidently put the dog in the, the street so the dog gets hit by a car.
1: Wow. Yeah. These seem like definite warning signs. Right? We're going to talk about
0: how we could have jumped in at any point. And it's, you know, we always run the risk of accusing the parents of not doing enough, but- People don't know what to do.
1: Right. I mean, you're thinking this is your baby. You're like, how would you even jump to there? But also, okay, so I have the McDonald triad. What's the treatment? How do we not raise a serial killer?
0: This podcast wasn't out yet. Um, some of the research was there and it was in its nascency, but it certainly wasn't available in you know the 70s, 80s, and 90s like it is now. So one thing Patrick's mom did say that stuck out for me, stood out for me, I should say, was that Patrick was depressed all the time. But he won't talk about it. And he, she took Patrick to a psychologist. The psychologist finally was like, you know what, don't bother bringing him back because he won't talk to me. This to me was a ding, 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 ding moment because it screams, this in combination of, with the stealing and the thrill-seeking, it screams low arousal to me, boredom. It sounds like the trappings of a thrill-seeker. And that is that is one way we become serial killers is... There's a phenomenon of low arousal that's measured in in various ways, but the most predictable and robust way is low resting heart rate. We're going to talk about we're going to get into when we talk about the interventions. We're going to talk about how important that is. But before I even know anything, or I don't even need to know anything about his biology, just the fact that he's starting stealing, he's upping the ante, and the fact that his mom said he was just kind of anodonic, he was not interested in anything. Just seemed kind of bored and depressed. I was like, uh oh. This is the type of killer we really could stop. But back then they didn't know how. As you mentioned, little people, little problems. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. As he uh his behavior worsened as he got older. And then he starts breaking into the houses. So it's not just stealing stuff. Now it's breaking in.
1: Um, it's not the items that he stole, it's the rush of maybe getting caught. Probably he needs more and more and more to mm-hmm. make it more interesting to him and That didn't do it. That didn't do it. Right. And now somebody might catch me stealing or maybe they're in the house.
0: So I have to be like super sneaky. Maybe we'll get in a fight. Fights are fun. Right? So if you're looking for a thrill, these are thrilling. And if you don't fear the consequences, which it seems he didn't, then why not? Right? He didn't react once caught and he did get caught. He constantly needed more thrills. So this was the dangerous trajectory and the interventions that could have helped, you know, as I mentioned, weren't, weren't well known. But then he started getting a little sadistic about it. So at first his crimes are just, you know, they're petty. He's stealing and now he's breaking and stealing. We saw him be a little mean to his brother, but then he tried to frame his brother at one point for the crimes. And I think he did that for pure entertainment. He wore his brother's shoes to the crime and, and somehow that connected his brother to it. The police found him and were like, these are your shoes. These are your footprints." He finally, the charges were dropped because he was like, look, I have two pairs of shoes and here are the other shoes and I'm wearing them now and those were in my closet. And Patrick would have just, to Sean's estimation, Patrick would have just let Sean go to jail just for the shits and giggles. Nice. Yeah. Sibling love. Yeah. It makes me look at my kids. I'm like, when you guys fight, how bad, I mean, how deep will you take this? He was surprisingly nonviolent with his family. His mom says only one time... Did he raise – I think I think it was a bat. They were fighting and he, he raised in a threatening manner a bat for a split second and then he put it down. I don't know if it's – he grew a conscience overnight, but I think that's not really – that's not the thrill
1: he's looking for to hurt his mom. Sure. It you seems know. like it's more – How he can get caught and Mm -hmm. this is not working, but she's right there. Right, right. She's right there. And I'm sure he had some
0: rage and anger, but he didn't act on it that way. So once someone is on this runaway train, you can see how things can fall apart in life for them very quickly. If you're already bored, you're constantly looking for stimulation or thrills, then school probably isn't your top priority. And then you add to that the annoying consequences of truancies, arrests, bad grades. And then it becomes not all that surprising that Patrick drops out of school in ninth grade didn't get a whole lot of education there. Um, And then when you drop out, guess who you're hanging out with? Dropouts. Dropouts. Gosh, you so good. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and everyone love that one. Up, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, and, <laughs> and Renee, <yeah>. take it.
1: <laughs> dropouts. <laughs>
0: Jeopardy. Um, so of course, they're, you know, stealing money so that they can buy booze and doing, you know, and those dropouts aren't necessarily ready for a lifetime of crime, but Patrick sure is. So Patrick was in juvenile hall in jail so many times that nobody can give an accurate or proper count. It just kept getting worse. He doesn't care. He gets arrested. He does something worse. It goes on. Once after Patrick got out of jail in Georgia, he showed up at a home that his dad and brother were sharing. So at some point, his parents got divorced. His dad and his brother are sharing a house in Georgia. And his brother says, look, he was never out of jail for more than a year and a half, so we weren't super afraid to have him at our house. Because we knew he was going to do something and he'll just be back in. Just be back. It's it's a low commitment. But he fell in love with somebody there. He fell in love with a neighbor, a 16-year-old girl named Lena. And how's this for thrill-seeking? Patrick gets 16-year-old Lena pregnant while she's in the hospital for a blood clot. Like, how thrill-seeking is he? He's like, let's do it here.
1: Yeah. And yeah. how old was he at this time? That was one of the questions I was hoping you wouldn't ask. Oh, okay. He's an adult. He's an adult part. and
0: she's 16. Patrick is an adult all at bad. this part, point. I, I looked. Did she I fall
1: in love with him? She, she did. Oh, Leah.
0: Okay. So they were actually in a loving relationship. But according to Patrick, she wouldn't put out while she was pregnant. She was pregnant with twins, P.S. <laughs> okay. It's like the it's, it's story just keeps getting... Worse, better, worse, something. It keeps ramping up. And she says, well, she wouldn't put out when she was pregnant. Rude. So I went to sex workers. And um, at this point, he had offered a woman a ride. I don't know if this particular case was a sex worker. He offered a woman a ride and he pulled a knife on her and he raped her, but he didn't kill her. So he went to jail. So Lisa dumps him. Oh, Okay. Yeah, if you were wondering. Uh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. With the twins. Well, and she hasn't had them yet. And then she miscarries the. there was a boy girl combo of twins, and she miscarries the girl. Still pregnant with the boy. He Patrick had been living with uh, Lena and her family for some point during this, and they were like, "Are you kidding?" And she was a reasonable person, so they're like, "Bye." You're. Was she? Oh, okay. Mm. All
1: right. Yeah. She became a reason. She was young. She was young. Well, she, was very she was sixteen.
0: Young. And, you know, I don't know. I think sex happens sometimes when you're a teenager. and Allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. I We've all not that. selected the right person. We don't. We I've have, done we that. We understand. Once. One time I didn't select. No, I'm just kidding. I'm very proud of all my exes, if any of <laughs> you are listening. Um, so, sorry, this is actually not a comedy. But you know what, though? And I'll say it here. If you can't have gallows humor... You can't talk about this shit.
1: Right. Exactly. Otherwise, it's very, very depressing and mm-hmm. sad. And it's it's hard to listen to. Some some I do have to shut off. Like I can't. Mm-hmm. I usually only let
0: myself lighten up when I'm talking about the murderer himself because it's like I don't I pay you no homage. I of course I'm the first one to say that some of it, sometimes becoming a murderer is not all your fault. And I know people don't love that, but sometimes you are born with deficits. But when I hear people joke about the crime itself, I get I get pissy. Um, but I would have I would have had to have gone to the loony bin myself if I couldn't find some humor. Just this is all oh, I do. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's dark. It is dark. And it became a lot darker once I had kids. So Patrick's, of course, gets released because that's what we do. We release Patrick over and over and over again. And at that point he started acting suicidal. And and some people attribute that to the fact that Lena dumped him. Um is he getting a not I'm not sure he didn't have one. He's not one of those who comes across my desk where it's like, oh, it's a psychopath. He has no conscience, no empathy, no guilt remorse. Clearly, he's lacking all of those things. But he's more of this thrill-seeking. And psychopaths can be like that, too. They're seeking thrills. They're low, they have low autonomic arousal as well. But he doesn't read to me as a full—he has psychopathic traits. But I think he does have a bit of a conscience. Okay. Um. Not one I'd want to take home. Right. <laughs> You know, but you can't carve nature at its joints. My professor, Dr. Schwartz, always said that. So it's not like, okay, here's the box. You're a thrill seeker. You're impulsive. You're a psychopathic killer. They bleed into each other. So I think he's probably more of a mixed bag. That makes sense. Yeah. So he's feeling suicidal. He tries to hang himself. He can't go through with it. But then right around that time, he's in the elevator with a five-year-old little girl, and he tries to kill her. I don't know how this little girl gets out. Like, with luck and her screams and the elevator door opening, she gets out. And because of that, he's obviously charged with attempted murder. But he's because it's coinciding with the suicide attempts, he gets sent to a mental health facility instead of jail, instead of prison. Interesting, right?
1: Yes. And he hasn't killed at this point.
0: We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Adulting? can be a pain in the ass. It's an onslaught of what the hells at least 20 times a day. And sometimes we just need a break from the day-to-day drab. Maybe a couple cuss words, a middle finger or two, or even just a few great laughs. Whatever it takes to put adulting in time out. You need Ass and Sass, the subscription box that will say everything you want to say so your mouth doesn't have to. Smart S and SAS items are curated and personally tested by the SNS team, a group of mouthy individuals who want you to get a good laugh in your day. Smart S and SAS partners with some of the best small businesses around to bring you trendy and snarky items each month. For example, in this last box, I got the funniest coasters that my girlfriends got a huge kick out of, but I had to, you know, hide from my kids. Each big box contains one Smart S and SASS design t-shirt, has between seven and nine unique items, and is valued at over $90. Other subscription size boxes are also available. Subscribe at SmartAssAndSass.com and use code HOWNOT for 15% off of your first subscription. That's SmartAssAndSass.com, code not for 15% off of your first subscription. Follow SmartAssAndSass on social media for your daily dose of attitude. When he's released in December of 1986, he starts stalking Lena again. And one night he was waiting for her near her house and it was Christmas time and she's decorating with her family and he's mad that he's not included. And then she leaves the house to go somewhere and he waits for her, but she doesn't come home. So then he goes out and looks for her and he finds, he sees a girl and at first he's like, Lena, it's Lena. And he gets close to her and it's not Lena, but she looks like Lena. It's a sex worker. And the sex worker says, are you looking for a date? And he's like, yeah. So he gets her in the car. He pulls out a knife. He rapes her. He strangles her to death. And then he rapes the corpse again. He has an M.O. I don't get that part. I mean, there's necrophilia, of course, but when's enough enough? Like, right. Busy. Because there's no thrill. It, it's, maybe it upped the thrill, Auntie. I had you when you are alive, and now I have you when you're dead. Then, um, get this he cuts open her stomach. And then stabs her. I believe that this may have been his first kill. But like I said earlier, we're not sure. He was claiming other kills. But what we do know is that from that point forward, it should be said that everyone who reports on him as a killer draws his victim profile back to Lena. So remember I mentioned earlier that all of his victims had brown Brown hair. And then I talked about the pregnant one. He didn't rape. And he tried to get that baby out. When he was incarcerated, he called Lena's family over and over and over again. Lena wouldn't accept the calls. Her family wouldn't accept the calls. And one point, he's like, just tell me the sex of the baby. I just want to know. She yells, boy, and hangs up. He became super fixated on this child that he would never get a chance to raise. He would make up stories about raising them. I have a boy and a girl. This became his fixation. This cannot make a a murderer. This cannot make a serial murderer. But he did kind of, his MO, and most killers do have one, and they are informed by something. His MO seems to have been informed by his relationship, breakup, and children with Lena. Or child with Lena. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Super creepy. There was evidence um, or talk about one point when he was hiring escorts, he would ask for blondes because brown-haired people made him kill. I wonder if he actually said that. Like, but poor Lena out there. out there. I know. I know. Uh, still, is she still I alive? Know. I couldn't find any information. And honestly, even if I did, I probably wouldn't out her. Patrick was supposed to die in the electric chair. But that's not what happened. They didn't let him out. Because I was like, oh, my God. He got out again. No. He died of cancer.
1: What? What? Cancer. That's It's not fair. Not fair. Well, hopefully it was a slow, long, painful cancer. Here's the thing.
0: I categorically disagree with the death penalty for a myriad of reasons that we don't have enough time for, but it has a lot to do with, I just think the way it's kind of flawed and it's very expensive. And like in California, no one is ever going to be put to death, but yet we still spend a lot of money. Um, My political opinions are not neither here nor there. It's usually because I just, whether I think it's right or wrong, I don't care. I don't care if a killer dies. I don't. I just care that the system we have in place to do it is not the best system. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not a moral stance I'm taking. It's just like, this is really expensive. I don't think
1: any of the systems have
0: no. gotten it right. No. But here's what's crazy about it. We hear victims' families wanting to see the killer dead, thinking it's going to bring them closure. yeah. Usually it doesn't, but they say it, and then they're afterward like, oh, it didn't feel as good as I wanted that to feel.
1: Right. Maybe the cancer was Maybe better. Maybe the cancer
0: was better, but here's a weird thing. Sean, Patrick's brother, said he felt robbed of the opportunity to see his brother die.
1: Wow. That took a turn. Didn't it? Yeah. I'm like, do I even add that? Because I don't even know where to go. <laughs> right? Like, what, what does well, that I'm feel sure like to it's you? it's hard to be the brother of a serial killer.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to change your last name. There's not a lot of Dahmers still walking around.
1: Right. Yeah. I don't think... Did he have a brother?
0: I think Dahmer... Did, I know he was raised mainly by his grandparents, so I don't know if there were, if he was raised with any children. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure if your last name is Dahmer, it's not anymore. Um, here's another thing that Sean said during Evil Lives Here. He said he resented his mom. He feels like Patrick took away his relationship with his mom because his mom chose to move next to the prison, to, like just live the rest of her life until Patrick died, supporting Patrick rather than being with Sean and her family. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't understand. He said, I learned unconditional love from watching my mother with Patrick. But it begs the question, could you ever
1: unlove one of your sons? No. I mean, that would be really hard. I mean, she probably felt like he had no one else. Like, who is there for him? Mm -hmm.
0: And you weren't there for the killings, but you were there for, like, him kicking you in your tummy and then him being a snuggly baby. and Right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know what my daughter asks me all the time? It just drives me freaking nuts. And she's so precocious and smart. And she says, would you love me if I became a serial killer? And I say, of course, I will always love you. And she said, would you love me if I killed my brother? Wow. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Wow. And for her to take it that far, like yes. what are the limits of a parental, of parental that love? Is, that's a... Deep question. I don't have any answers. I have no idea what I would, like, what I would feel or think.
1: Right, but I can see where Sean feels like robbed of his mom. Robbed, like, how could she be there for him and not for you mm-hmm. know for Patrick, not for Sean? But I honestly think she felt like he had no one. Like she, that's her, that's her baby, that's her baby. Ugh. He said something else interesting, which made more sense to me.
0: He said. Um, And look, not that what he said doesn't make sense. I don't know what it's like to have a serial killer sibling. Maybe I'd be like, I'd like to watch you die too. I I have no idea. I don't stand in judgment of any of this because none of us really can. Right. Yeah, unless you're there. Unless you're there, right. But he also said that he wished his brother's suicide attempts had been successful because all those girls would have lived.
1: That Fair enough. Yes. Understandable. Of course. Or if he had, the system had kept him somewhere long ago.
0: And I think even as a parent, again, I have no idea. But if I knew my kid was going to kill a bunch of people, <sighs> yeah, I mean, what? It's like the trolley experiment. Like, if do you if you have to sacrifice one to save other, I don't know. I don't know.
1: I don't know, and I don't want to answer. This is Sophie's choice. Sophie's like choice. I don't like. It. Our
0: listeners are listeners even old enough to know what that is? I don't is. know. Sean, do you know? It
1: oh, oh God.
0: God. Okay. Fuck it up, Sean. <laughs> Poor Sean. He's never going to – I've only (laughs) met him twice, and each time I'm like, Sean.
1: Sean. Sophie's choice. Get on it.
0: The only reason people are even allowing me to have this podcast is because I promised something that I could offer to stop a killer like Patrick. And while I will never be able to say this particular killer would have been stopped, I think that we have some interventions now that really could possibly – have stopped. I would hope so. Well, and if we're listening, if we get this out there, then someone can be like, oh dude, do, 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 your kid's being totally conduct disordered. Go do this thing I heard about. And it the beauty of most of these early interventions is they're not harmful. So even if the kid doesn't need this intervention I'm about to describe, who cares? Right. How could it hurt? How could it hurt? Right. And it could potentially clearly change. Clearly, there were signs all along. A killer like Patrick is actually easier and better because he showed you early on. Right. The stealth killers are much harder to intervene. That makes sense. Because you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Until it happens. That's right. So the beginning of Patrick's story is not new. It's not surprising. It is how most of the beginnings of uh, career criminals, like that's how their story starts. It begins with this little stealing and then this bad behavior and that bad, bad behavior. And believe it or not, like we said, it's easier to treat those even though they're more problematic at the time they're showing you their dark underbelly and you can jump in. I hate putting more pressure on parents because it's already, I'm already in trouble for, you know, what my kids can or cannot do. Um, and I hate putting more pressure on them. But the tools are there, so we have to talk about it. But it's not just the parents. The teachers, the principal, the pediatrician, the psychologist he saw, everybody should now have this in their back pocket pocket. Patrick wasn't treated by anybody really except for the juvenile detention system. And that's nobody's fault. It just wasn't there then. That's how much treatment was there. Yeah, that, I think that's zero. Yeah. It probably teaches you how to become a better criminal, I imagine. And it puts you in with other bad kids. And... Right. If Patrick had been a child today, there could be hope for him. Because we are taught that if somebody comes from a relatively normal home, at least one that's devoid of trauma, and they become this bad suspect biology as a potential cause for it. You should suspect biology. So if you have a killer and his, or even just a bad kid, and it's like mom and dad are, as far as we know, no one really knows what happens at home. But as far as we know, this child has not endured any specific horrifying trauma and they're acting like this, look to biology. Everyone looks at behavior like, oh, I'm gonna medicate his restlessness. He was very restless, medicate that. I'm proposing we go deeper and look at his biology more holistically. Like a nature versus nurture type, right. thing,
1: or but mostly chemical. Well, in his case, I believe he had
0: chronic low autonomic arousal. And what that means, we see it, it is the most, I mentioned this, consistent correlate of violent crime. Children with low resting heart rates becoming criminal. Is it and we have theories I'm about to dive into about that, but I believe that's. What we were looking at with him, just the kind of the sequence of events, the way he was committing his bad behaviors and his eventual crimes, coupled with his kind of anhedonia, not really getting a lot of pleasure, feeling depressed. I'm like, ooh, he's just our typical under-aroused kid. And this is what I would do. I would take a two-pronged approach. Both of these approaches address his under-arousal because under-arousal leads to thrill-seeking, which leads to stealing, raping, killing Under arousal can be seen in brain activity, which I'll talk about in a second, but it's much easier just to measure it in low resting heart rate. So that's just us sitting here. I mean, our heart rates are up right now because we're working and we're talking and there's cameras and there's, you know, microphones. And in general, like when you're just kicking it, your regular resting heart rate, there's an average. And then there's those of us who have lower resting heart rates. I have one. It is an uncomfortable resting state. You're tired and a little bored. So, bear that in mind. I mentioned that it's the best replicated um, correlate of crime. And longitudinal studies have shown us that school children with excessive slow EEG, which is another way to measure low arousal, are more likely to become criminal. They're bored. And there's a theory that they're fearless and bored. Remember, we talked about he didn't care about the consequences? They're not necessarily getting their heart rate up, like thinking of the consequence, but it has to be the action. But if you're not fearful of the consequence and you're needing the thrill, it becomes easier to do. Kids who are chronically under-aroused are, as I said, uncomfortable. There's an optimal state of arousal that anyone who's under-aroused is constantly searching for. These kids, when they're kids, it looks like this. They're hyper. And these are all studies. These aren't observations. Research has shown these kids are hyper. If they get a choice, they choose violent videos. They hit other kids. They steal. Anything to shift their state. Yeah, To to get the heart rate up. Now think of yourself. Do you ever feel like that? No. I do. No, I don't. I, I get out of the shower. I'm like, uh, I'm tired. I need my coffee. <laughs> Look at your cell phone. Binge on Netflix. Call a friend. There's a restless feeling. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. They have it all the time. They're constantly agitated, restless. Like, And you hear serial killers talk about it. I needed to find another kill. I needed it. I was restless. I was agitated. And then they kill, and then they describe a short period, but a period of feeling content. So they're chasing the dragon. They're chasing the freaking heroin uh, dragon. I just yes, said that. they are. I'm on call today. Oh, did you? Now, Renee has never done heroin, and neither has no, Sean I, nor disclaimer. I. disclaimer. Yes. <laughs> I need the, the audience to know. Our audience of
1: four people needs to know. Right. But we've heard the term
0: chasing the chasing dragon. Chasing the dragon. And what it's been described as is... When you do an opioid uh, like heroin, the first high you feel, you're constantly chasing that again because you have flooded your brain. Now it cannot achieve that high again until so you're constantly doing the same thing with yes, these serial killers. That makes sense. When I did um, the episode about Levi King, I'm not sure if I mentioned it in that episode or not, but he said to me, I'm, I interviewed him. He said to me, Michelle, it was the first time I ever felt normal. Ooh. Right? So if we can catch them when they're itty-bitty kids, we have to. And guess what? There's something we can do. Oh, see? That's good. Okay. Biofeedback. Have you ever heard of it? I have heard of it. I am not, but I've heard of it. Okay. It's a way you can actually change the function of your brain. And You gave me that look I expect. I said it, and (laughs) I mean it. We are all – I blame the 80s for this. We're all under this false impression that your brain is immutable. That you can't change it. Somebody came up with a study saying brains no lo- neurons no longer grow after age five, and everything is done at that point. And we all kind of took that and ran with it, but it's just not true. Okay, good. We can change your brain, not that yours needs it, but if Patrick is exactly who I believe him to be with this low arousal, you can actually not necessarily do something to change that heart rate, but the the brain waves part that's also connected to it. So somebody like. Patrick is going to have what we call slow waves like in the prefrontal cortex, a lot of the slow waves. So the prefrontal cortex is the area, I talk about it a lot, it's right behind your forehead and it's responsible for basically controlling yourself, right? There is this activity with biofeedback that can transform these slow waves into fast moving alpha and beta waves. And here's how. Electrodes are placed, an electrode cap is placed on the child's head, and the child is then tasked with a video game, like, for example, Pac-Man. The only way to get Pac-Man to move is to focus. You have to focus on Pac-Man. And if you start wandering, it doesn't work. So you have to initiate these fast-moving waves. We are having fast-moving waves right now because we're engaged. This is like a high arousal activity. So all of our fast-moving waves, are we're, we're good. He has to do that. For an extended period of time, and it's the only way he can make the video game work. If you do that for 30 sessions, you often see not only does the person get better at that activity, but then just walking around, those, he can easily access those fast-moving waves. He's paying more attention. He's more on task, and you can measure this. Wow. He has now taken his very immature, under-aroused cortex... And made it more mature and less thrill-seeking. I mean, have we just solved all the world? problems? We did.
1: Like, let's go. Let's go. Electrocaps for everyone.
0: Yeah, electrocaps for everybody. Biofeedback, 30 sessions, money-back guarantee. Of course, it's not that simple. What simplistic. would you talk about, though? Then? What would we do? <laughs> I would not have a podcast. No. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, if we could right. reduce some killers. Of course. Oh, right. my God. Especially before they start. Right. Before they start. So it's... It sounds too good to be true, and it's not an overnight fix by any extent of the imagination. But imagine this. like you are finally taught if i if I concentrate, if I focus, this thing happens, and then your brain just kind of starts doing it. That you need some social support, too, and that's the second prong. Give the kid something else to find his thrills. Like you and we, you and I can talk about what that might be for a thrill seeking child. right. But biofeedback is where you really should begin. And if it's a child, you can force it. Once somebody becomes an adult, good luck getting them into biofeedback, right? Yeah. And I mean, the, the brain is younger. It's more plastic at that point. So what they have found is this, this biofeedback, um, it takes a number of sessions. And you have to be able to afford it. Let's, I mean, that's no and joke. there it all is again, mm-hmm. right? So our wealthier conduct disordered children are going to have better access to this. But let's say you don't think your kid's going to become a serial killer because they're stealing and beating everybody up. They might not. But why not try this? Why not? Why not try this? Right? Because the vast majority of career criminals begin just like Patrick did.
1: Right. But I mean, as a mom, would you think just because they're hitting or... I'm not talking about the, that triage thing. Yeah, no, But, no. you know, you don't jump to serial killer, let's put a cap on their head. You know right. what I mean? Like. I know if more people knew, if you started seeing signs, the older they got. But I was pleased to find out recently that my children's
0: school, the school psychologist actually does suggest biofeedback.
1: Wow. For some of the,
0: the hyper, more aggressive children. That's cool. I was really happy because I had not heard of anyone doing it before. Like you said, it couldn't hurt. It can't hurt. Right. And you're not going to necessarily think they're a killer, but don't you want them to be able to be more focused? Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. And Look, it's a cascade of events, right? They're not focused. They start doing poorly in school. They're looking for thrills and stimulation. They get kicked out of school. So what if we can retrain their brains so that they are able to focus? They are not, they're more aroused. So you become more aroused when you have these fast alpha and beta waves. You are, you're not as under aroused as you were. So you're not thrill seeking as much. You're focusing in school. So let's say you're not raising the next serial killer. You're, you're still helping this child's trajectory go to a more positive direction because now they can focus. They know how to do it now. Right. They can get their heart rate up and their brain wave up. Yeah, they can do it. I mean, to me, it's like, look, if we see this over time and we've seen it in not just condo- disordered people, biofeedback is actually really good for anybody. It's just, it's, you're, you're
1: doing it to your brain Like meditation rewires stuff too. I mean, people do all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, yoga, meditation, just on themselves. If they could have something that just helps that along, why not? We all know that kid who was just couldn't sit still and then they're running around
0: and then they're hitting people. And some of that's normative. And hopefully as their, you know, their prefrontal cortex matures, that goes away. But for some kids, it doesn't. So then they start the stealing and the hitting and then creative lies and, you know, thrill-seeking through different ways. So I would say do the biofeedback, but also recognize the stimulation seeking in the child and give them something to do. Yes. Give them a different way to find a thrill that's pro-social, that doesn't involve- Pro-social, good
1: word, yes. Pro-social. It's one of my favorites.
0: (laughs) That's a good one. Well, there's pro-social psychopaths. Like I talk about that all the time, like surgeons and bomb detonators and presidents. And you got to nudge them too. You've got to nudge them toward pro-social stuff. Otherwise you get your Ted Bundy's. So ask away. You must have questions about this nonsense.
1: No, I do. I mean, it is fascinating to me, though, because it is so sad to think that there were so many signs all the way up. And it just, you know, either – I'm not saying it's mom or whatever, because like I said, how do you know this is just my kid? He just not, you know, mm-hmm. you don't go serial killer Mm-mm. from – Well, and it LA. lets her off the hook a little bit because – We have a tendency
0: as voyeurs of crime to be like, let me dig into their childhood. Right. What did
1: they do? Point to the parents. Where are the cats under the Mm -hmm. house? Right. Right. Point to the divorce. Right.
0: You are off the hook, (laughs) Mrs. Lewis, because it's not
1: the divorce. It's not the fact that you guys moved around. Right. Because otherwise, there would be millions of serial killers. Mm -hmm. And they're not that many. There are a lot of criminals. Sure. But that... Right. Yeah.
0: There and I I get very frustrated that people take the easy way out of looking at like oh well he came from a broken home or oh his dad spanked him. It yes, those are all triggering events, trauma, especially big trauma. And I say this in every damn episode, but those are all triggering events that can start the predisposed kid off to the races, but it's not any one thing like that.
1: Sure, I would imagine it has to be a, so many different. Mhm. Things going on. And some some kids grow up to be thriving because of where they came from, Mm -hmm. right? Like they overcompensate and become leaders and things like that just because of their childhood. So that's a great point. But seriously, like some people have, you know, crappy childhoods and they are running companies and leading things and thriving because they, you know, turn themselves around or didn't want that for their lives. Mm-hmm. So I get it has to be something in their makeup, yeah. like their chemistry that- Or there's their low flipping heart rate. Ro- low f- flipping heart rate. Low flipping. By the way, Olympic athletes have low
0: flipping heart rates too, but that's because they you know, made them that way because of their athletic abilities. Like You wouldn't know it because of all the coffee I drink today. But <laughs> I have a very low resting heart rate and um, I'm not criminal as far as you know. As far as I know. As far as you know. This is the, – the thing about the resting heart rate stuff is like, yeah, I just went on my soapbox to talk about how it's so complicated, like becoming criminal has all these different avenues. Sometimes it's really simple.
1: Which Sometimes is amazing. It is this, right. Like if you could just like know that from the mm-hmm. beginning, imagine all the lives saved. Mm-hmm. And like we
0: said about trauma and stuff, yes, some people are damaged and are, are effed up forever because of trauma. And as you brought up, which I don't, I hadn't really thought of before, some people are successful not despite the trauma, but because right. of the trauma. And that's got to be a difference in their ba- makeup
1: too. Exactly. In their predisposition. There's something in them that want to rise above it or, mm-hmm. you know. Be motivated by it. Yes. Be motivated by it instead of letting it keep them down and say, well, this is, you know, the life I started, so here I go. Mm-hmm. In socioeconomic, we have to at least pay homage to that a little bit. Sure. If you don't have a lot of access to like
0: sports, extracurricular things that you can do, you're, you don't, your parents aren't taking you water skiing or hiking.
1: Right. And when you said like, okay, how can we get these kids that have, you know, need thrill seeking, if you can't afford some of this stuff, that's yeah. like, what are the thrills you're seeking?
0: And that's where you have to get a little creative, you know, on top of your three jobs and raising your kids <laughs> by yourself. Right. Here's, let me make another demand of you, yes. which I hate saying, I hate saying it, but if you are able to... There's all this evidence that um, base jumpers and free climbers have low arousal, and so they chose. They were they were given the option of. They're literally that. jumping off a cliff to, mm-hmm. get, to seek a thrill. I'm not suggesting you have your kids jump, <laughs> no, no. but I'm suggesting really intense, kind of um, uh, arousing experiences like that. And obviously, if you don't have access to doing that in a you know formalized setting. Sports, whatever sports you can get together yes. for your kids, um, running around and let them have some agency. Like, let them be in charge of something, get their thrills in some way that's, you know, a little bit pro social. Hiking is not expensive. If you live anywhere near a hill or a mountain, get your kid out there. Get them and, you know, maybe get them close to the cliff. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. But even just like rock climbing, you know, have rock will climb. Right. I mean, unless you're in the plains, I don't know. I don't have a lot of answers for how to get that really intense, like, parachuting out, you know, j- But I think, diving. like,
1: knowing about it is the first step, mm-hmm. right? If you know your kid is not getting enough stimuli, like, in in a really, mm-hmm. like, intense way, find something. You're right. I mean, they could hike, yeah. walk, run, start yeah. training for a marathon, like. Absolutely. Start training know, for a marathon. That costs nothing. Cost costs
0: nothing. And get your shoes.
1: neighborhood, in, you know, Shoes.
0: Good well, we know shoes was an issue in the Lewis family because, um, because thank God they had more than one pair. Otherwise, his brother would have gone to jail.
1: Wow. Yeah, that whole thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, they were a middle-class family. This was not a poor family. But I, I'm always sensitive to the fact that we sound privileged when we talk about, here's your intervention. Some of them are expensive. Some are not. Get your neighborhood together. Talk to the school. The school knows your kid's bad right now. Sure. Like, look, I I heard this thing. Can we get some, like, stimulating activities? Can we let him... What kind of sports do you guys have? Can we put them in wrestling? You know, can we put them in the, you know, use your resources, your community resources as well.
1: Right. I mean, I think you as a parent also have to get proactive in that, right? I mean, the school only sees them a long time in the day, but they don't see what's happening at home. I'm sure the mom saw things the school didn't see, Mm -hmm. Not, not blaming the mom whatsoever. I'm just saying then she could approach the school. What kind of activity can we get them in? Although, I mean, what if he just says, I don't like any of it? Right. You'd have to keep throwing,
0: you know, the stuff against the wall until something sticks. But at least you know that if if the opportunity's there, you can try it. Or even at home, get creative. Just don't let him sit there in his boredom in it, with his low resting heart rate looking for ways to find thrills. Like, do something if you I'm can. I'm going to be
1: out there with a stethoscope at my children. <laughs> <No. laughs>
0: sit down. Sit, sit down. sit. Let's see it. <laughs> <laughs> totally fitbit, yes. everyone's checking their fitbit right now <laughs>
1: exactly like okay good good yeah
0: i mean the the ones with the high resting heart rates then you got those crazy anxious children and that's a problem too so. yes
1: my children are complete opposite so it's really fascinating oh. all of that too like you can't get more opposite really? in my children yeah it's interesting do they get along they do and they don't mm, you know normal. as they get along normal Like yeah. i don't think one is putting the other in a in a basket co- in and a locking, co- in locking and it and committing crimes with his shoes, but yeah, they get along. Of- <laughs> you see? Yeah. We're already winning. Winning, yes. Winning. Right, where my youngest of you said to do an activity like running or something, he'd be like, no. Well, send a bear to chase him. Right, okay, he would do that, sure. But yeah. I'm like, when I try to get him to sports, he was like, why would I do that? I could get hurt. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So he's not a thrill seeker. He is not a yeah. thrill seeker. So you don't have to worry about that one. Okay, good. One down.
0: <laughs> do you have any other questions? I often miss a bunch of stuff, so.
1: I do feel like what happened to the one woman, the pregnant woman, that he didn't murder. Mm-hmm. It's There's an underbelly here that we can't dig into because he's yes. dead. But I want to know. I would love to talk to him about, like. Yes, that whole thing is fascinating that it all stemmed from the girlfriend, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, that triggered Something in him. Something. You know, I hesitate to run away with other people's theories, but even he,
0: in his own words, was articulating that. And that's the craziest thing when I talk to killers,
1: when they're trying to figure themselves out, it's nuts. It's nuts what they come up that's with. That's fascinating, though, mm-hmm. right? Because they, it's probably a compulsion that they don't understand themselves. Mm-hmm. They'll come up with wackadoodle things. <laughs> yeah. You know, and every once in a while, I'll get one who's like,
0: I actually am just, I want, the only reason I'm talking to you is because I want to know. And I'm like,
1: hmm. I'm
0: gonna try. And sometimes there are, you know, like I'd love to be able to say to someone like, "I think you're under aroused. I think th- this entire time you could have been on a totally different trajectory." And I've said that to criminals before, like, "You're bored," which is so sad that it could have been something so simple. All right. Well, thank you so much, Renee. Thank you. This was awesome. I'm Michelle Ward. This is How Not to Raise a Serial Killer, and we will see you next week. How Not to Raise a Serial Killer is a Cloud 10 media production, executive produced by me, Dr. Michelle Ward, and Sim Sarna. Our editor is Emily Crane. Our music was created by Josh Cook with artwork provided by Brian Stefanik. Follow us on Instagram at How Not to Raise a Serial Killer and on TikTok and Twitter at Hentrask. That's at hn. T-R-A-S-K. And if you'd like to share a story or ask a question, you can email us at killer at gmail.com or call and leave a voicemail at 818-392-4403. If you like our show, do me a favor and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. After all, if more people know about the show, maybe fewer kids will turn into serial killers. Who knows? Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.